and welcome to the Sober Bliss Podcast with me, Gail, and my amazing guest. I finally quit drinking for good in March of 2018, and one of the things that helped me was connecting with people on the same journey as me, hearing their stories and finding inspiration. No matter where you are on your journey to sobriety, I hope you enjoy listening to these stories and hope they bring you inspiration, joy and light so you can find your own sober bliss. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Sober Bliss Meets. Today I am delighted because I'm joined by the lovely Jill McKay. Now Jill and I have met a few times. And we initially met on LinkedIn, didn't we? Because uh, you That's sent right. me a copy of your book, which is amazing. Um, Jill is the author of the book Unstuck, and she is also a coach and a trainer. And you help other coaches and trainers, don't you, using neuroscience to right. help use the power of our brains in order to create long-lasting positive change in our lives. What a lovely way of, of, of putting it. Absolutely right, Gail. That's, that's exactly what I do. It's all about people stepping into the power of their brain and really understanding their difference, their uniqueness, because our brains are the most unique things that we have. Yeah, yeah. And Jill is here today because you're also a sober lady, aren't you, Jill? I am a very, very proud and very, very happy sober lady. Absolutely. So delighted to, to talk to you about that. Thank you for the opportunity, Gail. Yeah, oh, I'm so excited for other people to hear your story because I've heard it and it is such a lovely story. And oh. you combine your knowledge of the brain, didn't you, to help you on your journey. Um, so do you just want to start and kind of give us a little bit of kind of backstory on why you decided to embark on this journey in the first place? Yeah, ab- absolutely. So, so the, the, the journey of sobriety, which I, I just will say up front, was entirely the best thing I ever did. If I say that in front of my three children or my husband, they look at me and say, oh, really? What about us being in your life? <laughs> in terms of a choice, in terms of doing something for me proactively, I absolutely stand by that decision as being entirely the best thing that I did, Gail. It, it, it's it's yeah. changed my life in so many unexpected ways as well as those that I knew were were in front of me so Mm. I think like many coaches and many of us who are involved in that whole self-development arena we can be really good at talking to other people and helping other people to see the changes they make in their lives yeah but sometimes we're blinkered ourselves it's challenging for us to to do it for ourselves and it's it's dawned on me the irony is not lost on me that several times I work with people to or many times to create really step changes not necessarily on the sober scale but step changes in their lives that would make big difference for them and yet I was medicating myself through my own angst and my own stuff Um, and now that I look back it's actually really interesting to see how that's almost innately human you know we're compassionate and we help others let's also be compassionate to ourselves and and help yeah. us ourselves too so so my story is probably one of, of you know great familiarity to to many of your your followers and people in in your community girl and people that you're you're working with i'm i'm a a mum i'm a, a juggling lady 
um, but, the, but at the same time, a very happy juggling lady. So I create busyness in my life. Um, I've enjoyed bringing up three children immensely. I, um, my eldest is 23, my youngest is 17 now. Um, I've enjoyed having a career. So in the early days, that was a corporate career. And then when Georgie, my youngest one, was was born, I, I actually took a new business package, which was great. It gave me the opportunity to set up my coaching and training practice on, on my own and on my own terms. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, it's through that stage that I started to notice the changes in terms of my drinking patterns. So, so here's the thing. You know, we're all smart women. We're all smart people. I think at an intellectual level, we know what we're doing. But yeah. it's when you start to notice that that emotional level that, you know, something's happening here that isn't quite congruent with the way I want to be and I'm hiding behind it. That's when the alarm bells come up. Mm. And what I was doing with those alarm bells is I was just squashing them down with more Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I was just medicating. So my story at its simplest is one of being a juggling mum and also then very much being sandwich generation so with parents mm. as well aging parents and so we've lost throughout the last few years we've lost all four of our parents and the, the my mum had parkinson's that was really quite challenging uh, my, my husband's father died of he had kidney issues that, that compounded it was a quite a surprise he died quite young but since we had all, all three of our children um and um and my father died of old age. He's the only one I can say who, yep, he died of old age. And mm. then my mother-in-law lived with us and she was severely immobile and severely disabled. And it was, it was really a gift in many ways. And, and I was brought up with Scottish and I was brought up in the Scottish community where three generation families are, are very normal. It's very usual. Um, mm. So it was natural for us to bring my mother-in-law to us, particularly seeing she needed so much support. Mm. Um, and I think that was a really big part of the strain of just the, all this juggle. All of a sudden, I had really a third person in our marriage, you know, an adult to look after who needed to to be looked after. And I think neither my husband nor I were prepared for um, how much she emotionally needed to be looked after, as well as the physical needs as well. So that really added into all of the the kids, the, the grief from losing my own parents, the, the, the job and, you know, the ebbing and flowing of the job market. Yeah. And then we had Margaret come in and really I started at that stage drinking an awful lot more. It was the way the pattern of my evenings mm. um, started to grow in terms of the amount of uh, nectar I consumed in my Sauvignon Blanc. And yeah. I can look back now into it and see it very clearly. It's at the time I was just making, telling myself little lies really, mm. and making excuses and thinking, gosh, I'm tired. Oh gosh, we've got to do this extra thing for Margaret. Let's have a drink. And staying up too late as well. So we that was a, that was also a symptom. So we could have time on our own after we put Margaret to bed. I was then drinking yeah. more, even, even more because I, I chose to shift my bedtime too. So that's kind of the backstory to mm. how it, it evolved. And I squashed my noticing of it throughout that backstory. Yeah. 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 And how was it kind of making you feel? So just before you got to the decision where you thought, okay, I need to make a choice here. Yes. What was it like emotionally? And how were you feeling oh. about the drinking? 
complete up and down. So, you know, I, I do like everybody who's listening to this, you know, we're all intelligent people. So I went into that horrible spiral of beating myself up for doing something that I didn't want to do to myself. Mm-hmm. And then giving myself excuses with the mantra of cutting myself some slack because I haven't had a challenging life and a very busy life. And I was in this spiral and I didn't want to drink much more but I did because I thought I deserved to drink much mm. more and it was giving me that I, I was sort of echoing I was almost encouraging myself to drink <clears> more by telling myself that yeah. I deserved to do so it's the reward and I saw it as a reward and actually from a neuroscience perspective as well it was giving me that hit it was giving me that that reward what I know so much more now is that actually it had got to a craving perspective so I was expecting it so yeah. you know my whole sort of physiology was actually tapping in to encourage me to do it more and more as well so i was in this from an emotional point of view which is your question i was in this kind of spiral and what happens i think when you in when your rational mind says look you need to take some make a choice you need to do something about it and yet your emotions and your behavior and your actions are doing something different is you start to beat yourself up even more mm-hmm. and that's that's the pattern that i got into you know oh i'm rubbish you know, I can't do this. You know, I've, I've changed habits before. I've done, and I've, a lot of the work I do with my clients is about creating change in their life, whatever habit that might be. It might not be, it's not, not specifically the, the booze, but it's create, doing something different, creating a better future for themselves. Mm. So I've got into that spiral of beating myself up. And then what did I do when you beat yourself up? You yeah. drink more. Or you give yourself, you want to feel better. So you give yourself more of a reward because mm. you deserve it, you know, in, in, in your in your mantra. So yeah. before I made the decision, that was I didn't feel good about myself at all because mm. I just I was sort of self-perpetuating those underlying feelings of, oh my God, Jill, you you're weak, you're rubbish, you are, you know, you're, you're all of this stuff you talk about. You're not doing it to yourself. You're a fraud. You know, mm. All of that stuff, it got, became quite dangerous, I think. When I look back now, it could have been quite dangerous if yeah. I, I hadn't have taken action. You know, I think it possibly would have rendered me, my confidence would have waned and waned and waned even more so mm. that it would have affected my, my business and, and my life in so many other ways as well. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. So was there a kind of defining moment when you thought, okay, come on, Jill, let's do this? Yeah. It's really, really interesting. And like many of your, your um, group, your community, um, I read a lot. That was one of the things that really helped me was that yeah. I, I, I read an awful lot. So I didn't have what people define in their books and in their stories, a single rock bottom moment. You know, mm. I think that if you are, if you do wake up in an accident in an emergency or you are in a car crash or you, you, you do something appalling at a party you know, yeah sure i did appalling things but nothing that was life stopping or or yeah. reputation busting you know there was nothing that was a a real rock bottom i think my life was full of little rock bottoms you know i, I bounced along the bottom of the of the river bed if you like mm. rather than you know creating a big hole in 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 the structure so i'd love to be able to in a way say oh it was that moment i think it was a an evolving erosion of my own self-esteem and and there was one day i I can't really 
recall a specific moment where I, I just thought two angles. I just thought, I really don't like this. I don't want my kids to, you know, see their mum like this. That, that was a big motivator, I think. And, and when I put a voice to it, it became, oh my God, that's really quite real. The yeah. other thing was, I'd put on quite a lot of weight with it. I wasn't sleeping well, so I didn't look particularly well. You know, I didn't look, I'm not, the, I mean, I've still got my lockdown look here, but you know, I, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't proud. A lot of my work was um, pre-lockdown was um, going and speaking at conferences and standing on a stage. And I kind of put on weight and I wasn't, everything was just physically below par. And there's no vanity in this at all, but it was kind of feeding that decision that, look at you, Jill, you know, you're mm. only in your mid fifties, you know, look at you, you're turning into something that is an image of another person. It's not the image of you, the real you. So mm. I kind of, in an erosion, there was something around my kids and being a good role model and feeling, actually, I'm not a good role model. And mm. at the same time thinking, look at you, look at what you've stepped into and then owning the fact that I'd allowed myself to step into that and I didn't like what I saw. And that was my thunderbolt, really, you know, that combination. And I wasn't sleeping properly. I mean, we were, we've all had this experience. I still don't sleep particularly well, but I know I was going up and getting up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, not just to go to the loo, but to drink water and to take my trusty ibuprofen. Mm. You know, I, I actually counted the other day um there's been a big box of tesco the supermarket ibuprofen that i've had you can buy a 50 50 box i've gone through that in a couple of months or a month and yeah. i think i've had it i had to throw it away because the sell by date had gone so it just wow. it's really interesting mm. and i hadn't noticed at the time until i did notice yeah. that my evening habit was go to the loo in the night water 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 pills Mm. You know, and oh by the way probably bumped my leg on the sidewalk on the, the chest of drawers as I went past two you know my legs were covered in bruises yeah uh, and then feeling rubbish and mm. subpar in the mm. morning so there wasn't that rock bottom there was just a series of, of rock bottoms that eventually added into a realization that mm. I had to do something you know and that, that do something doing something resided with me yeah yeah, and I think that's important as well. And it's a message that a lot of people need to hear because you don't have to have a rock bottom moment in order to change. A lot of people kind of get the feeling that, well, I'm okay, nothing bad has happened yet. So therefore, I don't need to. But what you just said there, the key is how it makes you feel. And if you don't feel good about it, if you don't feel good about yourself because of it, if you realize that it's making you become not the person you are really deep down, then, then that is enough. You know, you don't have to wait until something awful happens or somebody tells you that you need to stop. It is a choice, I yeah. think, and it's a very empowering choice. And I love it when you said that you had a thunderbolt moment where you realized this is not me. I want to be me again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, and I think that there is huge power in that. And I think yeah. that we, if you, if you 
move it to other scenarios, moving away from the alcohol, let's say it's giving up cigarettes or losing weight, or weight is often talked about when people talk about changing habits. Mm. You know, you can't send somebody to Weight Watchers. Yeah. Uh, they have to want to go to Weight Watchers. I mean, you can send them. You know, GPs can send, there's a, a big thing going on in the UK at the moment to lose five pounds because of the COVID, mm. you know, the, the obesity link and COVID. And people need to want to do something to create change in their life. And yeah. the irony really isn't lost on me that all of my work is about empowering people to step into their, their unique them and their difference and really honor and embrace that. Mm. And I'd allowed the alcohol given myself the excuse of the alcohol the, the alcohol was the powerhouse in my life rather than me being the powerhouse in my life mm. um what we, we everybody has to realize in any scenarios that we have a choice you know mm. in, in, and when we realize and we own that we have a choice in anything in life even in the direst circumstances yeah. that can be extremely empowering you know it's it, when we take mm. our power back I'm not yeah. saying it's easy, Gail. I'm not. And I know you're not either. Mm. Actually taking that first step to walk through the doors of Weight Watchers and want to do it mm. or, you know, to, to put away the cigarettes and rip them up or to say goodbye to your soda and your blood bottles. Mm. It really is empowering to do so. And actually, I think we also recognise that sometimes there might even be a degree of mourning. You know, we have to own that too. Yeah. You know, because you're when you step into any change, you're stepping into something new. So mm. what are you going to do to replace and reward yourself? Maybe if that was your reason for drinking, for instance, what are you going to do differently um, mm. to, to, to make yourself feel that you deserve it and that the it is something different? It's not yeah. in your blunt anymore. Exactly, exactly. So what did you do then, Jill? How did you well, get through it? It's really, it, it's, it's, everybody has their own journey and, and part of the way that I operate, I'm a big reader um, mm. and I have to in my world of work. I, neuroscience is an emerging science, so there's always something new to learn. Um, and I, I came across um, a couple of websites and uh, listened to some podcasts and then started you know, getting very friendly with the Amazon delivery driver because I was ordering anything, <laughs> all the chip lit, you know, I, I yeah. looking at lots and lots of literature. But I was also very, also very fortunate because a lady I knew who was um, uh, not, not related to me, my, my mother's best friend at university, one of that lady's, my aunt's sons, had remarried a lady and she was sober. Mm. And she talked very openly about her alcohol journey. So it was really interesting for me to find somebody who was kind of in my family-ish circle, who was very open about it. Now, she'd gone the AA route, mm -hmm. and I used to listen to her stories, and I, I, I'd think, oh, that's not for me. She's an absolute advocate, and I, and I think the whole thing is that it's about owning your own path and your own choices and what yeah. you want to go for. I, I know my own learning styles. I know my, my way of operating, and, and I just felt that, uh, for me, I didn't want to take the one day at a time kind of philosophy and even mm. though i do believe in that every day is a new day but i also believe that today we can choose our future for yeah. tomorrow so i wanted to make that choice today and feel for me as though i had made a single decision there mm. was something around that that really mattered to me i didn't want to revisit every day and say what choice am i going to make today over the alcohol I 
I wanted that choice to have been made. And yeah. so I did a lot of research around that. And, and many of the, the, the sober people, the people who've been through the journey, also advocate for that approach. You, know, you make a decision and then you create everything in your life around confirming that decision mm -hmm. and giving yourself compassion and, and you know, listening to yourself and, and giving yourself that space to mm. confirm that decision and feed that decision. So that's what I did. I did a lot of research and then I didn't even plan the day that I was going to do it. It was, when I say a lot of research, we're talking about a week, 10 days. Mm. I, I'd, I'd made a decision that this wasn't going to be an excuse. Mm. I need to search a path for me. And I say this wearing the hat of a, a previously failed, don't like that word, but failed Weight Watchers lady. <laughs> Okay. You know, so I understood as well as my work, you know, I'd been through, I'd been to swimming clubs before, you know, and I kind mm. of thought, right, how is this not going to replicate that yeah. kind of pattern? What am I going to do differently? Mm. So I think it was, it happened to be a Monday that I gave up, um, I, that I just, I said goodbye. I just thought, right, okay, today's the day I've read enough. There's, you know, I know there's loads more to read. Mm. What I read in the future will confirm what I've done. And um, so I gave up on a Monday and um, fully supported by my family, fully supported by my husband, who also, he, and it was really helpful. He also stopped for a while, a few months until we went on, it was in the March, we went on holiday in the July and he didn't have his first drink until we, we um, he got on the plane. <laughs> but that's hugely supportive, it was very helpful yes. for me. Mm -hmm. And also what was very helpful was that in our house, uh, my mother-in-law drank glass of whiskey every night and by god she needed it because she was in pain with her disabilities and the great thing for me was that i loathed whiskey so i was oh. really fine pouring her out her you know she said it was a single dram but it really wasn't you know pouring out her that was fine with me because mm. you know, and i had to think this through that she drinks every night you know i had to think this through it was not a problem so it was a series of a, a bit of research and a single decision that really mattered and then we had a laugh about a year after I'd given up because I was cleaning out um, uh, the, the, the utility room where we just had some bottles of stuff and I thought it was you know old bottles of squash and stuff and we found a bottle of cloudy day which is a really celebration type somebody had given it to us and I laughed I thought why did I not have my swan song with this expensive bottle of wine? <laughs> but there yeah. really wasn't a swan song. It was just a, a, a normal, in the old days, an old normal evening. Yeah. And done. Yeah. Mm. yeah. <clears throat> the last carrot, the last ibuprofen. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, I love that. I love it that you, like me, made the decision because yeah. I do agree with what you said about that. Um, yeah. In, I often quote, as you know, the Michael Jordan quote when he said, once I made a decision, I never thought about it again. Yes. And it was the same for me. And I found it liberating yes. because I didn't have to think about it again. Like you just said, you didn't want to revisit the same choice every single day. Um, you could then shape your life around your choice. Yes. So yes. what kind of things did you do to create this new alcohol-free life for yourself? So because I was very conscious of the fact that the alcohol was my reward, 
I, I, I cut myself some slack in terms of what I was putting into my mouth. You know, but when we give up something like smoking or drinking, it's not just the the, the nectar, the golden nectar, and the, the joy of the the taste or the, the the effect. It's also all the motor actions associated with it as well. Yeah. So I knew I had to do things with my hands, and I knew I had to. You know, maybe I needed different tastes to enjoy that felt rewarding. So I actually, I started making different types of ice cream. I've, I've mm. cut myself some slack in terms of sugar, you know. Mm. And one of the things that I've also learned on this journey is it's not necessarily the alcohol craving that you're feeling. It's the craving of the sugar. Yeah. So one of the books gave me the fact that... Um, even if you're caning a bottle of vodka a night, you know, I, I was a wine lady, that within 10 days, and I think it's that period, correct me if I'm not wrong, physically, the alcohol is out of your body. It's, it's come through, if you're, if you're not feeding it with anything else. Mm. And what you feel, uh, you feel the cravings for the emotions that it was satisfying, but from a physical perspective, particularly with wine, you're craving sugar. Yeah, and that's really really interesting. So I kind of I'd read that, so I started baking a bit more. So from a sugar, yeah, but that was doing something, and it was lovely yeah. because um, I was doing it with. I had two of my kids were at university, but my daughter was still at home, and so we started a baking habit, which was a lovely thing to do. We yeah. also switched up our evening habit by literally changing rooms. So we were oh. we went to sit in my mother in law's annex. So even though there was a smell of whiskey, but we'd normally bring her to sit with us in our big kitchen. Mm -hmm. um, so we'd go and sit in her annex, or we had a little sitting room at the front. We, 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 we deliberately changed up our evening space. It's a small thing. I mean, obviously, you have to have a, you know, the room to be able to do that. So we moved out of our kitchen. We had a little sofa in the kitchen, and we used to all, all sit there um, mm. in the evening. We moved out of that and, and moved to a different space and yeah. had the cake. You know, so I wasn't near the fridge. I wasn't near yeah. the wine. We had, I had a little wine fridge underneath the, one of one of our units. I wasn't near that, but I didn't get rid of any of the wine in the house. We, we my, my, I think we had no more white wine, which is what was my thing. That was a conscious decision, but we still had red wine, which mm -hmm. occasionally I would drink because I felt that. And my husband is a gin collector, so yeah. he's not a big gin drinker. He just has fallen into that fashion if you like gin's a big thing isn't it mm. so we changed up my my virgin wine subscription to the craft gins gin club subscription so and it's beautiful it's a display of beautiful labels and bottles and then he'll he'll occasionally you know, have that so it wasn't for me about getting rid of the alcohol out of the house that that, that remained there that stayed there as i say my mother-in-law was still drinking her whiskey my mm. personal habits were because it, it was evening for me my personal habits was move rooms yeah mm use my hands yeah, yeah. And that, that was really good and i i actually properly replaced well not even properly i did start to eat dessert ice creams or um or a, a, a little bit of cake in the evening but that was something i could control you know i was getting mm. i wasn't eating the whole cake you know yeah. allowing myself and enjoying and savoring i decided to enjoy my food in a different way and allow mm. myself that that treat you know, it's yeah. my replacement treat. And I think I put it in my book, actually, when I talk, my, my book isn't about sobriety, but in the habit change chapter in my book, I yeah. wrote a little bit around that. But I figured that, you know, if I could quit 
quit the booze. I could sort out my chocolate brownie habit later, you know, yeah. and I can, you know, and it, and it was important to feel that I was rewarding myself. I also did, um, I kind of reframed the whole evening routine with my mm. mother-in-law and this sort of negative bias of, you know, oh gosh, there are three of us in this marriage. And it wasn't around that. I went right back to the, 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 the core reason why she was with us, which was actually my idea to bring her in, into our family. And so evenings just became more relaxed around yeah they were just evenings so I, I would treat myself a little bit more and go and have you know not every night but I'd go and have a you know lovely bath a couple of times a week and just enjoy that sort of evening habit and just giving myself a little bit more kindness yeah. you know I, I think it, it gave me the space it freed my brain fog and mm. gave me the space to realize that actually my evenings were completely wasted you know, yeah. I was just in a fog, just watching the telly, probably mm. sitting in there in some sort of resentful stage. You know, my poor mother-in-law had been invited by me and I got into this horrible, you know, stage of, of resenting her presence. You know, and, and everything kind of lifted. So, you know, there are lots of things that, that you, you can consciously do to change up your pattern. You know, going out for a walk in the evening, you know, having a bath you know giving us cooking something for the next day keeping yourself busy but for me it was also being aware of the hands i've got a friend who's potentially mm. alcoholic anonymous she took up knitting and that mm. really helped her so she knits in the evening doing some mm. with her hands yeah 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 oh, i love that and i agree it's about finding something that you enjoy something that it's like a treat, a reward. Um, yeah, I was the same. I think I spent about two months watching TV and eating chocolate and cake as well. Um, <laughs> but I don't do that anymore. And like you, I wasn't particularly worried about it at the time, but it helped me through. And, and I think that's key. Whatever works, really, whatever makes you feel good, whatever yeah. allows you to show yourself that love and kindness again, because let's face it, when we're drinking, we're not really being very kind to ourselves. We think we are, but, but we're not really. And I'm a great big believer in showing yourself love and kindness. So whatever, whatever you want to do, yes. then just do it and don't feel bad about it at yes. all. I completely, I completely agree. And you're right. It's a, it's a, it's a reframe, isn't it? Mm. We think we're being kind by rewarding ourselves with the alcohol, and it's only when we're out of it that we realise that that's not kind because we're yeah. actually, at its core, we're feeding ourselves with poison. Yeah. I fully admit that mine, part of mine was medication to hold down the grief of, you know, losing my parents and things perhaps not being going so right in my business and just being challenging. The day-to-day mm. -day was challenging. So here's the thing, the day-to-day -day is still challenging. Yeah. <laughs> but I cope with it in a different way. In fact, I don't even think the word cope is part of my vocabulary. It's mm. just the day-to-day. -day. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel so much um, more able and freer to make weighted choices and, and better decisions mm. uh, because because my head's free I, I don't I don't have that that brain fog and fuzz and, and all that emotional entanglement mm. of the, the alcohol within me it's very very freeing in, in so many more ways than I thought originally yeah and that's love that's giving yourself love it is 
but to say, actually, I'm doing something, I own it, I'm doing mm. something that isn't really that good. So I'm going to do something else. And for me, what's come out of it, not in a million years would I have been able to write my book if I'd been drinking. I know I wouldn't. Wow. Um, you know, I had it in me, all that intellectual capacity, all that research, all that desire, the, yeah, I had it in, in me. I, I knew what I wanted to write about. It is a business book, but I, it's a book to help other coaches think about learning a little bit more about neuroscience to help them in their work. And I want to share that, the benefits it's given my clients. I knew I had it in me, in, you know, sort of from a capacity point of view, but from a physical capacity point of view and a focus capacity, yeah. it would have taken years. And then what would have happened? I'd have been back in that spiral of, oh God, I, I started this and I didn't finish it. And mm. I'm rubbish at writing. You know, there's something, there's power in that. And the, the other thing that happened, and it wasn't a direct result of the drinking, but it was a direct result of the, the self-care and the awareness was that I took up running. So, oh, wow. yeah, and, and, you know, in the fifth days, I joined a wonderful running club and we're probably the slowest group in the entire world. You know, <laughs> who cares? Who cares? And that is also, it's nothing to do with competition or speed. It's to do with health, well-being, and actually for me, socializing as well. Yeah. And so interestingly, in that group, there are a couple of other ladies. It's not a female running club. It's a, a, a local running club. But there are a couple of ladies who, interestingly, have very openly shared their same stories as me. They've mm. made healthier lifestyle decisions later on in their life for, for, for various reasons. I do remember a, um, I went to a seminar, a sober seminar in London a couple of years ago, run by a, a, a different uh, website. And... Um, I did it because it was in London, it was lovely, and I, I, I participated a bit in their work. But one lady said in the audience, she was thinking about giving up drinking. Good for her to come to a group to talk about it. Good to her. Good for mm. her. And she was listening to the stories and she said, I don't, I, I don't want to write a book and take up running if I give up drinking. And it was really, and I think that's a real message. You know, this, that's my story. Yeah. It's little things that are the changes. For me, the best thing is being able to get up in the morning without a sore head and yeah. feel quite and know that if I'm tired, it's my menopause. You know, it's not it's not my or it's the, the really strange weather we're having in the UK at the moment. Yeah. It's not you know, yeah. and and to have it's the clarity of thinking that's been such a gift. And mm. the, it's the knowing that I can sounds awful. I can leave somewhere in the evening if everybody else has been a bit silly and wants to go on till four in the morning. That's fab. But I can go back and do what I want. <laughs> and they probably yeah. won't even notice that I've left. And <laughs> I thrive. You know, it, it, yeah. it's freedom. It, it's mm. it all sounds quite logical, but it's not till you're there that you realise just how powerful that is. It, it's those little ones. You don't have to start running or run a marathon or write a book it's those little things those moments and I, I, one, one other thing is is the sense of pride and achievement I mean that's yeah. what does the MasterCard advert say that's priceless mm. it, it, you know to because you start feeling good about yourself owning it yeah. owning your backstory and then thinking oh it's a backstory it's not your future story yeah and, yeah. and that you yourself have created the power and made a choice to be able to create that future story and it hasn't got one bottle of Sauvignon Blanc in it which is great <laughs> yeah yeah it's all you 
<laughs> yeah, I love that. And it's so true. Because um, you can make your life however you want to make it. Um, I wrote a blog post about that the other day, actually. Um, and, it, and it is true. You can do whatever you want with your newfound clarity and energy and freedom. You don't have to do what everybody else is doing. In fact, you shouldn't do what everybody else is doing. Um, and the fact that you can is just so liberating and empowering. Like you said, you are in control. You can do what you want with your life now yes. and even if it is the small things and I totally get the small things because for me they were the small things were huge waking up in the morning feeling normal I was like my god is this what normal feels like this is amazing and because I'd been used to feeling like crap basically for years and years and years so that small thing is a big thing and even if that's all you hold on to, then I just think it's the best feeling in the world. I absolutely agree. Yeah. 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 And it makes such a difference to how, you know, this, this evolves that feeling of pride. And, you know, there's no shame in my story, none. Mm. You know, I think in the t at the time I was embroiled in shame that I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have used that language. Yeah. And now when I look back, I, I, I I, I just want to hug that Jill then because I probably was embroiled in shame. But there isn't mm. now. The shame has been replaced by a bit of relief, obviously, but pride because it was a choice. Yeah. And I think we all know when we take good choices, even though they might be tough at the time, that mm. how they will you will feel about it afterwards. And that mm. can only be a positive place to be. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um so what advice would you give to somebody who's listening to this, watching this, thinking, oh, this sounds so amazing, I want that, but I don't know where to start, I don't know what to do? Yeah, so the, the first thing I would say is just be kind to yourself. Just be, yeah. if, if you have come to the point where you, you feel you need to do something, then I'd just give you the biggest hug and the biggest congratulations, because yeah. getting to that point and owning it is the best first step. Mm. And once you've got to that point, you know, it's like the way the people who are forced to go to Weight Watchers, yeah. nothing's going to happen unless you want to do it yourself. So when you've got to that point, just huge congratulations. And then it's about finding your path. So for me, it was about finding your make, making that single decision. I would advise, because there's so much more on the market, the support through Gail, you know, I would advise joining her community. I, I really would, because that's where you will get your love and support and, and, and lots of ideas as well. And, and, and then open, they're open to ideas. It's a, a proper sharing community. So I would yeah. absolutely advise, talk to people about it. But I'm not saying necessarily follow my path, but what worked for me was definitely doing reading. There's an awful lot more available, even three years on from when I said goodbye to my Sauvignon. There's a lot more published out there. Yeah. You know, I, I would get hold of some of some of the books, um, the books there. And I think you've, you've, you've talked about the, the Naked Mind, there's the Sober Riskers. There's, there's so much out there. Mm. Um, lots of women, actually, um, yeah. who've, who've written those books. 
Um, so I would do some reading around it um, and think for yourself, you know, what would you what would you like your ideal future to look like? You know, and mm -hmm. I'm not talking about being a millionaire and living in Hawaii. You know, if that yeah, if that's right, that's great. I'm just talking about what would a good day look like next week, or what would a good day look like in two weeks? Yeah, because it really, really, really is possible. And it's those little things. It's about getting out of bed, opening the curtains, smelling the rain, or seeing the sun, and thinking, "Wow." what a great day that's yeah. really what it's about so yeah. just ask yourself what what is you know what what will it look like and if you're if you're not convinced then something as simple as a pros and cons list will really help as mm. well you know what are the what are the pros what are the what are the, uh, the against and just revisit it later because if you've got any reasons for against you know maybe you're still in some excuses you know i just congratulate you if you've got to this point good be kind to yourself and then work out work out your path forward but keep talking to people i think that's really yeah. really a, a, a big a, a piece of advice from my heart share because mm. you will find people who've done this before who will support you through it 100 percent. yeah yeah oh thank you jill that's so lovely to hear um, pleasure i'm so pleased that you've come on today to share your story and your experiences i know that it will help so many people. Thank you, Gail. Well, thank you for inviting me. And I, I reiterate what I said a, a few minutes ago. There's there's no shame in this. You know, there's, yeah. there's really only joy and power. And, um, you know, and I, I applaud anybody who's listened, who's got to this stage and listened listen to this stage, but there really is so much support out there. Mm. Um, and, and it's about taking a few little steps. Well, actually it starts with one step. And that's yeah. a great, great place to start. So yeah. thank you for inviting me, Gail. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. I love talking to you, Jill. Thank yeah, you. Do. You're doing great work, Gail. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please share and subscribe. For more help and support, go to the Sober Bliss website, soberbliss.com. Connect with me on social media and learn how I can help you quit drinking and start living.